Okay, Houston, we've had a problem here. Say again, please. Uh, Houston, we've had a problem. Hi, I'm Andrew Wallace, and welcome to the We've Got a Problem podcast, where we explore inspiring stories of struggle, success, and solutions to prevalent problems and how our guests turn problems into opportunities. This week, I'm joined by Robert Mardo, one half of the music duo Heavy Young Heathens. If you don't know him by name, that's okay. You've almost assuredly heard their music in trailers for movies like Deadpool, Ant-Man, Need for Speed, and The Magnificent Seven, on TV, most recently in The Righteous Gemstones, and uh, many other places. Robbie, thank you so much for joining me. My pleasure. Thanks for having me, man. I'm excited about this. Absolutely. Thank you. So you've been into music for basically forever, I yeah, assume. Absolutely. So what were your early inspirations? Uh, you know, growing up, the Beatles were the Bible in my household. Okay. You know, for my brother and I, who's my partner, Aaron, for my brother and I, um, the Beatles were everything. You know, we heard those records, Buddy Holly, the Everly Brothers. Sure. Those records were played relentlessly. <laughs> my father's musical ability and his taste, uh, my mother's musical ability and her tastes were, were very prevalent throughout our whole childhood. And I absorbed that. I just absorbed uh, hearing that and playing. It was just a treat to always have music playing in the household. It makes for a happy household. For sure. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. That's a an earlier generation of people than than most people today would even be familiar with mm-hmm. in in your age group. A lot yeah. of people these days, you you say, "Have you heard the Beatles?" And they go, well, "I've heard of the Beatles," right? But they can't actually recognize the music that they're that they're listening to. I mean, those are those guys, the the Beatles, the Everly Brothers, the Everly Brothers harmonies, yeah. especially, exactly. are just so iconic that yeah. once you've heard them, you go, "That you can absolutely identify." Them. That's right. So. Uh, when did you start getting into playing music? I was probably about eight years old. I was with my parents, you know, having an older brother. And I say that with, uh, <laughs> you know, all joy in my voice. Yeah. Having an older brother, I watched him develop his musical okay. ability. You know, uh, he started with guitar, picked up bass. He played keys. He sang. He formed bands. He got a four-track recorder, which was huge. <laughs> he learned to master that, record, you know, demos, song ideas, etc. Uh, so a great influence on me. Right. Also, our father was a player. Okay. And like I said, our mother can play as well. So there was both sides of the family that had this ability. I was with my parents. I really had an inkling that I wanted to try rhythm. I wanted to play drums. Uh, just so happened to be that a family friend, his wife tried to woo him into a drum kit for an anniversary. That went awry. The drum kit was sitting in the closet. <laughs> I saw it. I said, what is that? He said, it's a drum kit. I said, can I have it? He said, you can borrow it. I said, I promise you I will bring it back, which I did. (laughs) Okay. Uh, And that was how it started, about eight years old. And I can't say, and again, this is just my opinion and it's my own journey, so it's for for no one else to take uh, if it doesn't resonate with them. Lessons were not my thing. Okay. I don't read a note of music. My brother and I do not read a note of music. Uh, We're not formally trained musicians, per se. I took a drum lesson with a fella in town. A lesson. A lesson. He said, bring a binder, bring a pen, bring some paper. I said, okay. And I went in the room. He showed me all these things. He wrote all these charts out and he wrote these notes. I'm looking at these squiggly lines and these musical notes. And at the end of the lesson, I went home and my mom said, okay, what time next week? I said, "Uh, it's going to be quick next week. I went in. He said, okay, did you do your homework? I said, no, absolutely I didn't. But show me how to play a two and a four. And he went boom, bap, boom, bap. And he said, I said, okay, great. I said, thanks very much, man. I'll catch you later. <laughs> and that was pretty much it. The rest of my education came from playing along with records, okay. much like we're doing now, in right. headphones, in a room, sure. came home from school, rushed right in. You know, my parents never had to force me to play, which was very, I think, uh, telling 
of my willingness. For sure. And then I got into, uh, like I said, my brother and I started playing very, I was, I was a teenager. He was coming out of one band. He said, look, I got an idea. I want to start this thing. You want to do it? I said, yeah, I'm in. Sure, Let's man. Let's do it. Journey begins. All right. You know, and that was just out of sheer admiration. I mean, one of the things that, that people say at parties, right? They'll hear some, say, just pick a musician, some great uh, pianist play a mm-hmm. thing and go, oh, I'd give anything to play like that. Mm-hmm. And there was a, and I can't remember who it was. I wish I could. Somebody who said, no, you wouldn't, right? Because <laughs> <laughs> true. Because because you could do it, yeah. right? You could yeah. you could become great if yeah. you practiced. That's right. Incessantly, you could become an excellent uh, drummer, piano player, whatever. Now, perhaps technically excellent. Maybe that you know. Obviously, there's certain inspiration that comes with it, right? And and feeling, and you can't necessarily teach emotionality and, and all those things. But you could be technically. You know, a great studio musician, let's say, if you train, if you, you know, if you yeah. practice, right? Yeah. But most people aren't willing to to sit there and practice and play and get into it over time. Yeah. But I imagine there was a lot of rewinding the track yeah. and going back and let me get that again. Let me get that yeah. again. Let me. It is a business of repetition. Right. You know, uh, if you're pursuing anything. And yeah. you want to excel at it or you want to be great at it. I mean, it's 10,000 hours. We've all heard these mm-hmm. things, you know. We were hearing that. Our inspiration, like I said, as, as young kids was the Beatles. Right. And you heard about the 10,000-hour rule with the Beatles. They would be in that rehearsal room 10,000 hours for one gig. For sure. And uh, hearing that, hearing the stories of Van Halen, how much they worked, hearing, you know, the stories of, of Leonard Skinner, how they would be in these hot shacks in the summertime and just sweating it out <laughs> just to go play one gig and that kind of stuff. Man, I heard those stories and I was like, I'm all in. I'm all in. I'm doing it. I'm ready. And no one had to force me. So, yes, repetition is a huge part of it. Right. But also the fact that they didn't have to force you, right? That's, and that's, that's something that, that you cannot compel. I had a friend who, um, had the typical experience of, he said, an Asian child Mm -hmm. where he was expected to play an instrument, to play it well well enough to get into a good school so that he looked mm. well-rounded. Mm-hmm. And then once he got into the good school, to give it up. Mm. Because, you know, he's like... There's no future. Right, yeah. right. Because, <laughs> no, you, you've done what you... It did what it was supposed to do. Got you. You're good. Yeah. And he's like, no, I, I actually like playing... Smarten up. Go be a doctor. Go <laughs> right. do something better. Like, yeah. No, I actually like playing the violin. <laughs> he's like, I, I love it. It's, yeah. you know, maybe you had to force me early on when I was four and you were shoving this violin into my hands, but now I, I like playing mm-hmm. it. And his father wouldn't talk to him when he was like, no, I, I you know, when I graduate, I want to, I want to go to graduate school for music. Right. And he goes, no, absolutely not. Yeah. So he had to pay for graduate school himself. <laughs> now he's, now of yeah. course he's a concert violinist, yeah. but so often people try to force any, any of the arts. Music is one of them, but any mm-hmm. of them on their kids going, you, you should learn to love this. You'll thank right. me later. Yeah. Rather than let me cultivate an inspiration and, and, and a love for music that yeah. you just like, no, I'm, I'm, I'm into it. I, th- I think every parent has the dream, right? If my kid's sure. going to be a football player, I want him to be you the know, an NFL, you know, Tom Brady Jr., right. whatever you want to call him. If my son's going to be a musician, if my daughter's going to be a musician, if my children are going to be athletes, dancers, doctors, whatever. Every parent wants their kid to be the best. So how are you scoring your kids? Uh, I literally have told them that we have no instruments. Do not even listen to music. Run the farthest away from it as you can. And, uh, no, your story, what your story tells me is it, it just, again, what it keeps reminding me of is, is getting into music professionally is hard. It's hard work. Yeah. And when I hear that, it's just one more reminder that there is no easy road in this game. 
Right. Your friend has to suffer whatever his sure. familial kind of, uh, you know, repercussions he's felt from that, from, from his love of music. <laughs> and it came with a cost. It comes with a price. And he's yeah. putting himself through school. Yeah. That's what music is. And, and I've said this many times to many people. The music business and just music in general, following your love of it, has a strange way in itself of kind of weeding out those who don't belong. There's many, many points in the road, as we'll talk about here in this in this talk. There's many points in the road when you have every reason to give it up. Yeah. Yeah. Were you guys having some success relatively quickly, or how long did it take before you were starting to get it out there? My brother was so focused and so passionate about what he was doing, and again, had a couple years of experience on me. Sure. And so he very quickly had a great batch of songs, him and another bandmate that we had who was a childhood friend. We quickly put together a, a demo by by just scrounging around. And the way we did that was, was very interesting. We rehearsed, we practiced our brains out every day, every night. You know, it was school, it was water polo after school, and then right down to rehearsal until 10 or 11 at night. And we did that just religiously seven days a week. And from there, there wasn't a lot of places to play, especially with a, a teenager in your band sure. in our hometown that weren't 21 and up clubs. And so we thought, well, we'll just make our own venues then. So it started with backyard parties. Okay. We had a backyard. And if we could squeeze 300 people in this thing with a couple kegs of beer and charge them (laughs) three bucks a head, we made enough money to go record or buy recording gear. Right. So we quickly assembled this studio gear by throwing these parties. By the last party we had, I kid you not, there's 700 kids. My parents, it's like, are you going to dinner tonight? Yeah, we're going to go to dinner. Great. We'll see you at 12. (laughs) And 700 kids pile in, eight kegs of beer get ran through. We make, you know, well over a couple grand and the cops show up. We've played our set. Do you guys want us to shut it down? I said, no, you know, we got one encore to go. Give us a minute. My brother, you know, sweet talks him. You want a drink? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and they were cool enough to say, listen, you got till 11.45. Okay. Okay, great. We go out and we burn it. We take the money. Everyone goes home happy. We go record. Right. We go put together. So success didn't come necessarily quickly, but we did know that we were making strides here. Right. We, we were doing things that other people weren't doing. Well, you and you had a plan. We had That's, a plan. Right. That's, that you just hit the nail on the head. Yeah. My brother, like I said, knew what to do. We right. were flyering. We were playing. We developed a venue like out of a coffee shop where kids could come. Right. Um, and everything was about the goal, which was getting some attention, possibly to come down here. Sure. Play some bigger shows, of which we did. You know, we would come down and play the Viper Room in these different places that were hollow ground to us because right. you heard all the tales. Of course. And try to attract someone to make a record, a major label, whatever. 25 years ago, we landed at a place called Sound City in Van Nuys. We were brought down on the strength of this demo tape that we made by some producers and the owner of the studio, Tom Skeeter, who's no longer with us. And Dave Grohl made a fantastic documentary, if you haven't seen it. It's called Sound City. And we wound up at this studio in the valley up by the Budweiser plant. Right. And I'm all of probably 16 years old at this point. And I've left school behind to come down with my older brother, and we're going to make this record. And uh, if you would have told me then, I thought that was it. This is great. I'm seeing Nirvana Gold Records on the wall, and I'm seeing you know Fleetwood Mac record here. Evil Knievel rode his motorcycle through the hallway. (laughs) This is this is (laughs) Valhalla, man. We're here, right? But that was a lesson in itself. I quickly learned that. I was in no way, shape, or form ready to make a record at a studio right. like that. It was a setback. It was a point where, yeah, we did the recording. We hustled through it. You sure. know, we, we put in the work to get it done. But it was an eye-opening experience. That, yeah. was, that was phase one of, hey, 
you better get back in the room. It's going to take more work. Right. So yeah. you didn't have the experience the Beatles had with Please Please Me where no. they were just in a marathon. No. <laughs> no. And you know what? A, a great example. You're right. I mean, that's just a band who's like, okay, you ready? Great. Roll it. Let's do it. Now, they had done a deck of you know, sure. demo sessions no, stuff they'd before. Been, they'd been, they'd been practicing yes. nonstop in Germany. They'd yes. done the whole thing. Right. The yeah. whole thing. You're absolutely correct about yeah. that. And we had a journey similar to that. Right. You know, we had done a lot of hours on stage, so to speak. But the studio is very different. Yeah. And depending on who you're working with, how you're recorded could be different. You sure. Know, it could be individual. could be the band in the room live on the floor. To say we tried it all the ways is, is we, I'm, <laughs> I'm being polite to myself, but we tried it all the ways. And, and just I walked away from that experience a little wiser knowing, hey, listen, I can be better at this. Right. So you, you went through, did a recording session. Yeah. You, you kind of made an album, so yeah. to speak. And things weren't fully baked yet. Let me, let me interrupt I mean, you right there. No, no, that's a great point because you're right. Things weren't fully baked yet, but we had this opportunity that came to us during that period to record a song for a film called Wild America that Morgan Creek made. And in doing so, we had a chance to be on a soundtrack. We had a chance to be in a film, and we got our first taste of making music for film. Okay. So there was this little silver lining in this whole experience. And if we got one track out of that session that was usable, luckily it was that song. And okay. It went on to be in the film, and it was great. It was a great experience. So that that gives you an entree into film work. And I know that you you had some struggle after yeah, that. Yeah. Um, that things just weren't going. Hundred percent. You know, still just weren't going. How you how you guys in a sense knew that they could go, mm-hmm. and you felt like. If you didn't do something different, if you didn't yeah. make a change, either you were going to give it up or you were going to That's right. recommit. That's right. In all that period, and shortly, a few years after, we never stopped. We kept working. We toured. We would make records and tour endless right. cycles. Fast forward a few years, our childhood band has disbanded, as normally do. But right. you know, my brother is my musical partner for life. We're not going anywhere. Right. People have come and gone. Fast forward a few years, we've put a new project together. We've made a couple albums, and we're doing the cycle again. We're records tour, records tour. Right. But life has changed. We're a little older. We're a little wiser. We've learned from a few mistakes. We've honed our craft a little better. Right. And now we're at this second phase of our career where we're now touring support for, for big national acts. Mm-hmm. We're doing festivals all over the world. We're touring with, with the biggest bands of the day. And so now that's the new experience we're seeing. Oh, that's how they control the crowd. Oh, that's how they get their gear ready. Okay, these are the things that are now the lessons in phase two of our career where that intermediate level that we've reached, so to speak, Mm -hmm. we can be better. We can be more proficient. We can control a room now. We can get up on stage and you give us 30 minutes, yeah, we're struggling. You give us 45, we got you. Right. But even after all that, for, 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 you know, probably 2004, 2005, 2006, we were on the road probably the better part of seven or eight months out of the year. Well, that's the brutal schedule it, of it was. a working musician. Yeah, absolutely. It, it, it's the part no one wants to talk about. Right. Because, you know, you think the road, you think, hey, listen, cocaine strippers, I'm throwing baloney on someone's <laughs> ass. And it's just not a reality for right. a band at that level. Now, I don't know what goes on at the big level. That's well, their business. I think people fall in fall in love with the idea, the concept of what they think that life is yes. going to be like if they're a rock star or if they're a, a you know an actor or yeah. all these things. And we deal with it in the on the film side, where everybody it. goes, "I want to be an actor." What they want is they want the adoration, right. the admiration. Yeah. They they want to see yeah. themselves on the screen. They want all those yeah. things. And go, but there's a lot of stuff that goes on behind the scenes. Right. And there, you may be able to 
uh, or may have been able to live the rock star lifestyle, you know, that we all read about where people were throwing TVs out of, you know, hotel room <laughs> windows and, and doing coke off a stripper's ass, they, 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 which, which doesn't sound appealing to me. It's anyway, not, it's, it's not, it's, it's not hygienical whatsoever. It's horrible. Yeah. That's the thing that people forget is what it's actually like on a day-to-day basis mm. for people in the music business who are out there touring just an average band. Imagine New City every night on the bus. Drive for hours. In the van. In the van. Yeah. You're getting ritzy, pal. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> so you get in the van, you yeah. drive for hours, yeah. the next stop, sound check, prep, play, yeah. back on the bus. It's, it's back in the rinse, van. you know, rinse, recycle, repeat, whatever the saying is, yeah. you know, it's it's that constant again, repetition, as right. we talked about earlier. Yeah, you know, that was the that was the thing. You know, we have a saying that my brother and I throw back and forth. You know, everyone thinks it's just all hams and plaques. And that's the farthest thing it could be from a working musician. Now, granted, if you earn yourself the right to travel on a private jet or in a bus and you're staying at the finest hotels and playing huge venues, hey, you deserve every minute of that. Sure. You've, you've earned it. You should be there. You're doing great. Your music is selling, is appealing. But no matter what, there's still hustle. Correct. You didn't get there just by right. chance or accident. Right. So seven, eight months out of the year, you guys yeah. are touring. So we're, we're on the road, you know, for this period. And like I said, it's record road, record road. Mm-hmm. And we're, we're doing this. We're away from our families. We're away from home. We're missing holidays, all this kind of stuff. And we have a couple players playing with us to fill out a four-piece band, keyboards and guitars. We get to a point where we come off the road in 2007, and we're getting ready to make the next record cycle. And again, refinement, ambition, etc. My brother and I, who... At this time, we're, we're running our own independent record label, truly mm-hmm. independent. This is kind of pre-internet distribution, so to speak, or maybe there's just not as simple of forms as there is now to get records right. distributed. We have a PR person. We have a distribution guy. We've got a radio guy. Um, we're manufacturing, and we're doing this all out of pocket with whatever proceeds we can make from sales, from the road. Everything's going right back in, right. and including some very generous credit card companies who may have been lied to at the time. <laughs> Maybe. You can't prove anything. We get to 2007, and by, I'd say, the end of the year, we're we're recording recording about 25, 30 songs, and we're kind of pushing them around to some new producers. And I had a child. I had my first baby in December. Congratulations. My daughter. And it's the best moment of my life. You know, I'm really, really excited about this. And come March, my brother and I are standing in my backyard one morning, and the guitar player left to go join some other band. The keyboard player has gone off to go pursue his own solo interest, but managed to take the management company we were just starting to work with, with him, behind our back. Oh, cute. Yep. The PR woman has disappeared. The distribution guy has moved on and formed his own company. And the radio guy just lost interest and went somewhere else. (laughs) You know, real estate was calling. And we're all alone. We don't have a phone. We don't have an email address. We don't have anything of substance here to say, oh, we're good. We can cruise for a while. We have nothing. We're down at the bottom of the heap again. And it's like we're 15 years at this point into our journey plus. And we're looking down at each other and I go, what are we going to do now? And I'm saying this as I'm holding my baby in my arms, feeding her with a bottle. I'll never forget it. I'm standing in my backyard and I said, what are we going to do? And he looked at me and, and again, being that source of inspiration and focus, he said, look, let's give it one more shot. And if we're going to do this, let's record a record we want to listen to. Let's do something for ourselves. Let's do something that we would put in our car if we're driving around and listen to. Not yep. something that someone else expects us to or something that we think will earn us success or a label or whatever we were pursuing at the time. And I said, oh, man, absolutely, I'm in. All right. I'm, I'm, I'm totally in on that. He said, we need an adapter at the studio. We have to go to Best Buy. I said, okay, <laughs> go over the hill. We go to Best Buy. 
And we buy this adapter and while I'm there, I'm like, you know, I'm going to pick up a couple albums, grabbed a few albums for some inspiration, got in the car. We were back at the studio that afternoon writing and putting together songs for our first Heavy Young Heathens album. We did not waste any time. And knowing that I had that child at home waiting yeah. for me and that we needed to get to that next level for ourselves. Talk about a way to light a fire on you your know, ass. It yeah. just, it, it wasn't even in like, I give him all the credit. It's not that I was waning. It's just in sometimes in those moments, there's that cloud around you. And I had a lot going on. I mean, I'm, I'm literally holding a yeah. newborn kid trying to figure out how we're going to survive, pay bills, et cetera, like everyone else. Do I want to go work a job? You know, I'll be honest with you, Andrew. Right. We, we don't know how to do anything else. We've done this our entire lives. Right. This is what we've put everything into. Our sacrifices, our blood, sweat, and tears, every dollar we had went this into that. It. So that moment right there is where everything changed. We take all of 2008. We, re- we did nothing. The phone was shut off. Like I said, no email address. We recorded all day, every day. We wrote and recorded. While my brother was proficient in the studio, he excelled now beyond a level I've never seen. And he developed a sound for us. And so we record a couple of the first things that we've written. He gets his mix to a point and he calls me and he goes, what do you want me to do with this? I, this is, I, I, this is right. where I'm at. How, what is it? What are we doing here? I listened to it. And I said, okay. I literally took some free plugin we had downloaded. We put it on some drum tracks and things came alive, man. There okay. was a magic that happened. And he looked at me and went, get out of the chair. Okay, I got All it. Right, hey, hey. And that was it. And we made a record. At the end of making that record, we really loved what we had. We worked our asses off to write great songs, yep. produce great songs, and make them sound how we wanted them to sound. Things right. were dirty. Drums were big and crunchy. Bass, no guitar. All our vocals, these harmonies, these elements of spaghetti western that we loved. You know, Morricone was you know sneaking sure. in there. All this stuff that we wanted to put into these records, we did. We had one copy on a disc, not knowing what to do with it. We reached out to our former distribution guy, a great fellow named John Bergen and his partner named Bo Caldwell. Reached out to John and we had lost touch with him. And he was really someone in our lives that we valued. And we said, John... We have this album. We'll send it over. I'd love to listen to it. He said, well, we only have a CD. You mind if we air me, you know, put it in the right. mail to you? He said, send it to me. I'll call you. We sent it to him and he's, he's no longer with us. So it's, it's, it's a moment that I'll cherish forever. He called us and he said, I know exactly what to do with this. This is your best work. He sent the one copy to a fellow named Matt Roffel in New York. Matt Roffel sent the same f-ing copy to Buna Murray. Buna Murray put us under a deal and started putting it in their television. It then went from Buna Murray over to MTV where we met a a fellow who changed our lives named Scotty Diablo. Scotty called me on the phone and said, look, let me put your music on all our shows. We said, absolutely. He opened a window for us, for TV and film, that we had been dreaming about our whole lives. I cannot tell you how fast we jumped through that f***ing window (laughs) as it slammed behind us. We dismantled all of our live gear, got rid of everything, put all our focus into studio gear and recording and writing. And that's what we've been doing for the last decade plus. Awesome. Yeah. Awesome. Sorry to be long-winded about it. No, no, no. That's the journey. What's so awesome about that is... When faced with a a definite problem, right? You, it's like everybody is abandoning us. We're <laughs> we're right back where we were fifteen yeah. years ago, and now we're here at the at back at the bottom of the heap. And you know, we have everything to lose and nothing to lose at the same time. And right? the most dangerous guy in the room is the guy with nothing to lose. Absolutely, yeah. man. Absolutely. Do you write specifically for the trailers, or is it music that it's already part of your heavy young Keithans catalog that people are picking up and using? It's I. 
it, it's, it's a small percentage of both. And okay. one, the, the heavier side is that we're custom composing for, for every okay. project. Some of those tracks do get repurposed, do get okay. but also the record that I was telling you about that we made, we do have a couple albums that you know we've made a material that we commercially released. There was some songs on there that had a lot of shelf life. They still yeah. do to this day. For whatever reason, I'm grateful for it. If anyone ever takes the time to listen and says, hey, I dig that, we've got a couple songs in the catalog that continue to work. And for us, we're not, like I said, commercial artists. We don't right. put records out to sell. We don't try to get on the radio. We don't have social media. Right. We're not looking for that kind of attention. Our goal is to be a part of great projects that we dig. Right. So when we get to voice a character on The Simpsons, <laughs> oh man, you can take all your f-ing platinum records and shove them down the toilet. Like yeah. that, that was it. Like, yeah. oh my God, we're fan, we're lifelong fans we're, of this. Yeah. Oh, to yeah. be here, to, to participate, to... Just see how the show is made, etc. Yeah, such a treat, and, and a big thank you to our friend Matthew Sweet for that. He made that happen. They, it comes in all sorts of different ways. So the trailer thing to answer your question: our start in trailers, people had heard our music mm-hmm. and said, "I think you'd be good at this." And we very quickly, the first week out, landed a trailer for The Amazing Spider-Man and for The Expendables too. Now, neither company, both different film studios, knew that each other was using the song on the same week. So that was a bit of a pickle that we did not create or cause. But to hear that companies want to use right. our music, these two little guys that don't read a note that are just sitting in their own studio trying to do this every day. Yeah. Man. You know? Yeah. Well, it's the, be- the, the absolute best possible thing that could happen yeah. that somebody actually enjoys your work. Yeah. And wants to use it. The amount of gratitude we have for that is, is beyond. I can't even Talk say. about an honor. Yeah, it is. What do you think the most underrated concept in the music business is that, that you think everybody overlooks? I've thought about that a little bit. We touched on it earlier, and it's hard work. It's the work that comes and what comes with that. You talked about what comes with success. I say the hard work that goes into it. You can't put a toe in the water here. Like you said, you may get away with it for a minute, but it's going to show. And we're constantly having to educate ourselves. We're constantly having to get better at what we do because eventually, even just personally, you hit a wall. Mm -hmm. And so for anybody that thinks getting into music is easy or, hey, you know, I bought some gear. I'm just going to record a record and put it out. Someone should listen to it. No, no one owes you that. Nobody owes nobody nothing, as we always say. The truth is it's hard work. It took us 15 years to get someone to actually listen to our music and say, yeah, I hear something here. I think that is the biggest misconception of the whole thing is that it's just some easy road just because you've got a a nice guitar or a great microphone or, hey, I wrote a song. Hey, that's great. Write a million of them. One of them's bound to be good. Right. But if you only write one or three of them, eh, your odds are a little rough. So what would you say the most unexpected detour that your career has taken has been? There's rarely a straight path to success. And you've, we've talked about a lot of different paths in your career. Yeah. But what, what do you think just kind of took you by a complete surprise? I think it was that moment, like I said, that the CD wound up in the hands of some television and film people. And we yeah. very easily at that moment could have just said, ah, that's great, man. Yeah, you know, use it for some shows, but we got to go. We got a tour or we, right. we're going to make a record or, you know, we're still trying to be famous. We wholeheartedly jumped through right. this unknown zone to say, hey, look, I don't know, this is short-lived. I don't know what, what happens when they cycle through those 10 tracks. Right. What's next? Making that choice right there changed our lives completely yeah. for, for our work. It changed our, our work lives completely. It now gave us a voice where we were heard. And it gave us an outlet for our creativity. And like I said, I'm I'm forever grateful for that opportunity. 
Fantastic. Yeah. Fantastic. Yeah. So we've got a little bit of time left. Please. I'm here, man. I want to talk to you how the music business sold music and packaged it. There are several bands when I was in high yeah. school that I can think of where I had to buy the whole damn album That's right. to get the one song that was yeah. good. And of course, they never had another one that yeah. was good. The right? $20 challenge. Yeah, the, tw- yeah. the $20 challenge yeah, at Power Records, That's right? That's right. So, so when when something like the iTunes Store came along and you could just get the music you wanted, right. and 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 buy the track, that was that was transformational for me and my music consumption, and I, and it enabled me to now, as I heard of a track, I could go out and just get that track, and I didn't have to commit to liking the whole album. Yeah. Now, it did also destroy in my mind some of the advantages of somebody who spent the time curating an album. Yeah, you you've lost something there, yeah. but. During that time, you're right. You know, music changed. The way we consumed music changed. The way the music was distributed changed. Everything changed. Yeah. Whether it was peer-to-peer on, on sites or whether, you know, the, the dawn of iTunes and the early days of downloading. The bottom line is, is it put the listener in control now. The listener is, it's like concierge service, right? Anything you want, just pick from the menu. There it is. You only want one song, pay your 99 cents. You right. want the whole album, pay your nine ninety nine. You want to take, you know, a song here, a song there, put it on a playlist. You're in control of your own destiny now musically. Back in the day, putting on two sides of vinyl on a reel-to-reel to try to get your mix right, you know, right. that was your choice if you had time or the equipment to do that. But what a headache. Right. Then it went to cassette tapes, and we'd sit there and wait for the song to come on the radio with our finger on the button going, <laughs> click, click, click. Right. Oh, guy, you know, the guy's talking. Now the, the, the listener was in control. The, the buyer, the purchaser was right. in control of the product. Part of the frustration for me is that everything seems to be be driven by theft of intellectual property. Yeah. And then it becomes, okay, well, we've got to figure out a way yeah. to legitimize this instead of trying to solve the problem Correct. early on. Yeah. It felt to me as a consumer, and I don't know how it felt to you, but as a consumer, not being in control, being like they were shoving an album down my throat. Yeah. And, I, and I'm not trying to be angry or aggressive about it because I was a teenager with disposable income. So if I really wanted a song, I'd buy the damn yeah. album. Yeah. But when you get into intellectual property and all those kinds of things, you get into the concept of intellectual property and standing up for artist rights. You guys have a pretty strong stance against that yes. or for that, I yeah. should say. Yeah. What is that? I mean, you guys are advocates. We, we are. We're fierce advocates and protectors of not only our own work and our own copyright, but, but of, of all artists, mm-hmm. to be honest with you. Because if you're an artist and you've gone through all the struggles, and one of the great fallacies of this business is that music is for free. It exists on the internet. I can go click and listen to it. It must be free. And nothing is for free. Right. We've all learned that. Somebody has got to get paid yeah. for what they did, for the work that they did. That's right. And it's their right to claim those things for the work that they've done because it's not yours to steal. It's not yours to take. You'd think it was that simple. Right. You'd think people would understand the simplicity of that. There's still a belief that if you're a working musician, there's still kind of that look in people's eyes when you talk to them that work in other professions. They're in medicine, they're in insurance, they're, they own a coffee shop, whatever. There's still a little bit of look in their eye like, when are you going to get a real job? <laughs> get a haircut, you know what get I mean? a real job. Yeah, there you go. There's still always a little tinge of that. And look, maybe it's just lack of knowledge. Maybe right. it's just inexperience, whatever. That's their business, not mine. I don't really care. I'm not out to prove what I do to people as being legitimate. If, or, or of value. Or of value. But... What I know is in the industry that we work in, right. music is everywhere. It's used in all formats of media. It's used in every commercial you see. It sells every product you buy. It's used for every film trailer like we talked about within the film, within the series. It's I mean, you go, go to a restaurant yeah. 
And that doesn't play music. That doesn't play it's music. It's the most boring night of your life. And it feels so empty. Yeah. I mean, Just, dare I say the food even may taste better yeah. knowing that you're enjoying the soundtrack. We've worked with restaurants in the past to put their music together for them. Great music can change the environment and mood of, of, of everything. It can Absolutely. make a bad film good. It can make a good film great. Is all music good? That's kind of up to the listener. But there's no reason why you need to do that and not be compensated for it. There's no reason why anyone should tell you you have to do it for free. Right. Again, I'm not trying to put words in other people's mouth. I just know from my own experiences that there is a feeling that that exposure is enough to suffice the needs you have. You know, I'm sorry, but exposure was something you kind of went and got treated at the at the clinic. You know, from what I remember. So I'm gonna I'm gonna avoid outside, exposure. Not, right, not yeah. wearing any clothes. Yeah. yeah. I'm going to avoid that if I can. When you talk about my brother and I, just us, I'm not referring to anyone else, but solely us in our in our line of work and for the business that we've built. Exposure is not important to us in that sense because right. we're not looking for... That's not your goal. It's not. And I'm not trying to be rude when I say it, but it's just I, we like to fly low. We don't have presence. Right. We like to be behind the scenes. Our job is solely to whoever comes through that door and says, this is my film, my TV show, my commercial, my project, whatever. Right. Our job is to make them happy. Right. Let our me job make you is something to, good. Our job is to make their product is the best we can, and we have a very high quality control within ourselves. It yep. has to be great for the both of us before we even play it for the client, so right. to speak. Well, and that's a look. That's that that is ultimately the creator's journey. That's right. That's what my father went through yeah. in in writing Braveheart. People think when they see your product that it just came out that way, yeah. right? Like the, that the, that that was your first draft, correct? Right. People look at the screenplay for Braveheart and go, oh, I wish I could write like that, or I wish I could have written that. And you go, well, just keep in mind, yeah. what we called draft one was like the 17th draft. I mean, and that's the unsexy stuff. That's right. the wizard behind the curtain. It's just some f***ing guy on an exercise bike with a kazoo. <laughs> that's, I think, you talked about misconception. That's the misconception. Right. That... That was written first draft. Oh, my God. Those words, even the punctuation's perfect. Look, he even, you know, numbered the pages. Right. It doesn't yeah. work like that. Yeah. I, could, I could dump hard drives worth of material that no one will ever hear. I think that in every artist or every creator or just every, let me just generalize it. Let's just say in everybody, there is always a tinge when the phone rings and a new job comes in and I go, oh, I can't do that. There's literally, I'm telling you, it lasts about 15 seconds. Right. My mind goes, oh, you can't do that you someone's going to figure out you're a fake yeah. you chancer yeah you know get out of here man you've been faking it this whole time and then and boom, one of these days somebody's going to figure it out someone's going to figure out and call you guys faked you know whatever yeah. you don't play bavarian cheese whistle <laughs> uh, the bottom line is 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 there's always a little shred of doubt yeah but that's the fuel right if you know how to turn that into kicking your ass to get going right and the motivator it's great. The other thing I was going to say to your point, though, was is don't forget, we're overstimulated. Right. All we see is success. And I'm using my fingers to make quotation marks. Yes. People all day long, all they see is success. Yeah. Well, you're Social seeing the media. curated version you're, of somebody's and, and, life. And much like you said, you're seeing draft 17 that says number one. Right. You're not seeing draft number one. Right. People all day long get fed that. That dude's got a private jet. Or yeah. he's just standing by one on an airport tarmac. Now that there are services that actually are made to give you backgrounds for your Instagram content. <laughs> I didn't know that. Oh, yeah, absolutely. That I, I, I have seen ads now for rent this private jet carcass <laughs> to sit on the private jet and... And take your... That's good. You know, yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Can you give me the number? Yeah, sure. Yeah. I, <laughs> I'd love that. That'll, that'll be your your, your big social yeah, media post. splash on right. the social media. Uh, 
I get it. Part of me feels bad about that, yeah. that that is the norm, so right. to speak. Why is that what we want? Yeah. But going back to what you said, to have a fear to get started, you either do or you don't. You yeah. know what I mean? You either you either get in that van or you don't. Well, my, my friends graduated high school, went on senior trips, and went to college. I got in a van and started exploring all 48 of the, of the you know, continental states here. I've done that probably six or eight times right. with my brother. And that in itself is an experience that nobody else got to have. And I say that because, again, another one of those detours where you could have easily just followed the path that, and I'm not, I'm not knocking everyone for doing it. That just wasn't our path. Right. But it takes a lack of fear to chase an individual path like Correct. that. You have to say, I don't care. Well, that's that goes back to having the plan or at least having the presence of mind to realize that you might need one. Yeah. Because most people are not emotionally mature enough at 17, 18 years old to go, I can actually make the conscious choice not to do what people are telling me I Correct. should do, but to do what I think is right for me. Yeah. And, and to chart their own path. And again, what was right for them? If you want to go to college, go to college, kids. But if you're sitting there going, I have this opportunity, this is what I really want to do. I'm going to go out and do it yeah. and actually explore it to the point that either I will succeed or I will fail and I'm still young so I can figure out something else to do if, right. if I do. Right. That's that's what we're lacking, even in, in with people in their thirties and forties. It's yeah. like, well, well, I also think you have to have an, an immense level of support behind you. Sure, that sure. always helps. And I'm not talking financial support. I'm just saying you need someone behind you, and everybody needs it—a parent, a friend, a brother, a sister, a girlfriend, wife, whatever. You need someone behind you that goes tune it all out right just stay the path yeah. you know as i always say stay the course well it's it, because it's actually impossible yeah. to be a hundred percent all the time hundred percent right? that's the hundred <laughs> percent <laughs> that's the issue right, right. You, you you and and it's hard it's hard to stay the course right it's, it's hard there's bumps in the road and and we have this expectation from social media from the news from wherever yeah that everybody else is Crushing it yeah. all the time. Yeah, I love that. Crushing it. Crushing it. Yeah. And I'm comparing my inside to somebody else's mm-hmm. outside. You need that support structure, that yeah. that other person to go, I know you. Yeah. And I know you got this. You got it. Just tune it out. You're absolutely right. And the other thing about that that I love, the part of, of the journey that I love, once you find what you want to do, if it's songwriting, if it's painting, if it's writing a script, if it's creating or manufacturing a product, when you're in a creative space, the beauty of the process is, is didn't work? No problem. Throw it out and start again. Right. No one says that everything you do has to be the top of the mountain. You're the, you're the judge of that. Right. You're making it for you. And the minute, and it took me a long time to get to that point, because like I said, when you're on a path of, I'm trying to be commercially successful, you've eliminated that ego and that pride bit to say, uh, I don't want to do that. Because if someone goes, well, you know, it could help your career. You go, oh, yeah, you're right, man. I better just start jumping on one leg. The minute you get to a point where you go, you know what? I just want to do what I want to do. And it's a luxury. It's a privilege. Sure. I'm not saying it's easy. It's a luxury and it's a privilege. It comes with hard work. But the minute that you can say, I just want to make music for me. I want to write what I want to write. The beauty of that process is, hey, I didn't write a great one today. Or man, right. nothing came out. Some days I sit there, man, with a guitar in hand and I just stare at the screen. <laughs> and other days I'm blowing leaves on the lawn and I go, man, no, that's a great idea. I yeah. got to get to the studio. Right. Put that. Put <laughs> put down your leaf blower and get right back to. It's the beauty of the. Pro- Actually, yeah. I'm, at that point, I'm so afraid to put it down. I'm like, what if it stops coming? 
Right. What if the idea goes away? Keep blowing. <laughs> you know, but that's the beauty of the process. Right. I talk about that a lot. The beauty yeah. of it is, and especially in a computer digital age, hey, if this whole thing today that we're doing is no good, you toss it in the garbage bin, and I come back and we do it again. Right. Which is a blessing and a curse. It is. I will say yeah. that at least for us in the film business, we have struggled with that, that today's film editors, because it's all digital and everything, yeah. they can just keep cutting, 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 yeah. and they can go at it over yeah. and over and over again. Yeah. And back in the day, when you actually had to cut film, you had to commit to yeah. that cut because Correct. otherwise, if you needed to actually make that scene longer later, you have to strike another negative. You have to actually, <laughs> we're going to have to spend some money and make another print of this thing to yeah. to do it. So when you did it, you were more intentional in what you did, yeah. but it frees you these days to go, let me try it that way. That's right. Oh, perfect. Yeah. Or... I don't like it. Let me go back. Listen, you're, you used a great word, which is commit. Right. My brother and I are fierce about committal. Right. We, you know, you can record a clean guitar and add effect later. Why? Let's just put the effect on the guitar and make it sound cool on the way in now. So that's what I want. Pro Tools is more of just a modified tape machine for us, computer, yeah. digital recording, etc. We still use tape. We right. still have tape machines at the studio. We still have analog gear, all of our outboard gear, all of our keyboards, equipment, etc. We are a little bit different. Our niche in film and TV is, is look, these guys record everything analog. There's not a right. whole lot of MIDI digital kind of production going on here. And I'm not saying we're the only dopers on the block to do it. I'm just saying that we've kind of gotten known to make these right. big record sounding recordings with all this great analog gear we have. Right. And my brother is very like I said, fierce about, just commit. Right. Once he does it, it's there. Let's just do it. Print it. It's great. Right. I love that. Right. And tomorrow, I'm going to do something else, and we're going to start on something new, and we'll do. We'll try something different then. Well, I can't wait to hear it. Yeah, man. Me Bobby, and you both. Thank you so much for joining me My today. Pleasure. I really appreciate it. I appreciate you taking the time to have me. I'm Absolutely. very, very grateful for it. Thank so you. with no social media... Is there anything I should direct people nope, to? Absolutely nope. not. You know what? Forget if, we existed. If anything, <laughs> I, I just, you know what? If you're going to direct anyone to anything, it's like a couple of those things that you mentioned that we've been so lucky to be a part of and, and been a small little part of musically. It's all kudos to them, all gratitude to them. So hopefully everyone checks those projects out and loves them. Awesome. Yeah. Thanks so much. Thank you, man.